Post family. So you make your way back to your seats, just a quick introduction. My name is Chet White. I am a community group leader here, also a shepherd of the Heritage Community Group. Yes, this is my community sitting right here. <laughs> you guys really did it. They said they were going to sit in the front row and heckle me all day today, and they are doing that. So um, if you have one of these, this is an ESV Bible that I've got. If you don't have a Bible, please grab your phones. We're going to be in the book of Colossians today. I get to preach Christ to you. I'm so excited for this morning. The book of Colossians is all about making much of Jesus Christ. So please, open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And when you get there, let's read Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. That'll be our text for today. So Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, will your word speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So, we read the word mystery there three times. Who likes a good mystery in here? Uh, five of you. Yeah, I'm looking for hands. Who likes a good mystery? All right. Oh, wow. You guys do participate. I was getting scared when I was watching Tony and Greg this morning that maybe no one was actually, you know, I see you, but maybe you weren't here. I love a good mystery. I grew up reading the Hardy Boys, uh, watched a lot of Agatha Christie movies, and also Hitchcock movies. And you know what I liked most about them? I wasn't involved in any of these mysteries. I got to read about other people dying, you know, the murderer, who was the murderer, I put myself in the detective's shoes, and it's a lot of fun when you're not involved in the mystery, right? There's intrigue in other people's like failures and other people's demise, like it, there's something that we like about that. But let me tell you quickly about a mystery that involved me that I didn't like at all. About 13 years ago, I was a, a young uh, college kid sitting in Michigan. I went to Michigan Tech University, and when I was sitting in my dorm room, I was talking to Priscilla Thomas in Powell, Wyoming, on the phone. Now, 
At this time, we were just talking, and for some reason in the middle of this conversation, I said some really stupid things, like, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you'll be okay with me continuing to talk with you. Can I call your dad or something to make sure it's okay with him? And she's like, why would you call my dad? We're just talking. Uh, and then she pressed me. She's like, well, how do you want to talk to me? <laughs> so any 19-year-old men in here, or boys, boys in here, because that was a 19-year-old boy, uh, uh, well, for 10 minutes I stuttered and stammered and I couldn't get out that I liked her and I wanted to date her, okay? And so in the end, I got that out. It took me about 10 minutes and I finally, I just put myself out there. Priscilla, I really like you and I want to date you. Okay, I'll think and pray about that. I'll call you later. She hangs up. <laughs> the next, like, the next week, she didn't call me back. Now, if you've been in that situation, you put yourself out there and you're wanting someone to, like, someone that's better than you, that you don't deserve, you want their acceptance, a week feels like 4,000 years. It is awful. I'm happy to say Priscilla's sitting right here. She's my wife. We have four children, and it all worked out great. But that mystery was not one that I really enjoyed being a part of. See, that mystery involved me. There was a potential for success, she would say yes, or failure, she would say no. And that's really where the mystery ends, so it's really not that intriguing. But I want to tell you about a mystery this morning that is far more intriguing than that. The conclusion of this mystery was she'd either date me or not. But there's a mystery written about in 39 books of the Old Testament in here. And this mystery is life or death. This mystery involves every single one of you in this room, and this mystery really did take 4,000 years to be revealed. So let's look. Back in Genesis, and we're not going to open and go through all this because we would be here for days. But in Genesis, approximately 6,000 years ago, God created man in his own image. He was created perfect, without sin, and lived in communion with God. Adam and Eve were completely taken care of by God in the Garden of Eden. Adam was given one command. You may eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's some Old Testament scholars in here. That's great. You shall surely die. Now that sounds pretty bad, but at this moment... Adam and Eve are completely free. They're in the Garden of Eden. God is walking with them. They are communing with God. Perfection. There's no mystery. God is right here. They get him whenever they want. They're not ashamed of themselves. They've been created by this God. All is good. All is well. But then, as the account in Genesis 3 goes, this serpent. Who's the serpent? Satan, the devil. He approached Eve and he deceived her. How did he deceive her? He twisted God's words. He manipulated them. He told her, did God say you really can't eat of every tree in the garden? She said, well, no. He just said that tree. He's like, 
God doesn't know, and the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll know all things. You'll become like God's. And Eve ate of that fruit, and she gave to Adam, and he ate of that fruit as well. And as we know, sin entered the world. And with sin, as God had commanded in Genesis chapter 2, what came? Death. Now, he said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did they keel over and die that day? Not physically, but what happened? They spiritually died. They spiritually were separated from God. So God physically then removes them from the garden. They no longer have access to the tree of life in the garden. He sets up a a blockade so that they can't get back into the garden. And this is where the mystery begins. We've now been separated by God, mankind. How do we get back to Eden? How do we get back to communion with God? And this is where the mystery begins. So due to his part in deceiving man, God pronounces a curse upon the serpent in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the very first clue in solving this mystery in the Old Testament. Who would the mysterious offspring of the woman that God is talking about be? Could this mystery reverse the curse of death and bring us back to God? Fast forward a couple thousand years. The earth has endured a flood. It destroyed Cain's race. And God appears to a man named Abram. God tells him he will make him a great nation. And in Genesis 12, 3, behind me it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Will this mysterious blessing bruise the head of the serpent? So we have clues like this littered through all of the Old Testament. I promise I'm not going to read every promise of God from the Old Testament. Those are the only two we're going to look at. But there's a whole lot. You, you read through Genesis, and then we get into the Exodus, and we see the laws given to the people as it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And then they, they are in Egypt, and they're under persecution from Pharaoh for hundreds of years. And then God takes Moses, and he raises him up to take them out into the promised land, and he gives Moses the law. And Moses teaches the people the law, and they are given the promised land. It almost looks like they've returned to Eden, doesn't it? But they haven't, because what's still dead? Their hearts. They might have been given a land. They might have physically been brought back into a place that looked good, that was God's promise for them, but it didn't fix what really ailed them. You see, their hearts were separated from God. They were hopeless. They were cursed to die. The Old Testament also gives us a story of God's enduring love and promise for deliverance. Over and over and over, we see prophecies, I will reside with you. I will make you my people. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who is God talking about? For 4,000 years, it remained a mystery. So we have hopelessness, death, separation from God, but God's promise for deliverance. So then what happened? Who was here last week? The hands keep coming up. If you were here last week, what did Greg preach about? The preeminence of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is who we're here to talk about. 
the seed of God, born through a woman, remember that back in Genesis 3? Born through a woman, lived his life sinlessly, offered up his perfect body on the cross, and rose triumphant over death on the third day. The serpent's head crushed. All the families of the earth blessed through one man. As it is written in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Do you guys see that? All of this mystery, all this intrigue from the Old Testament, 4,000 years of generations not knowing how they were going to get back to God, and God gives us one man, Jesus Christ. Let's think about that for a minute. Romans 3.23 tells us, we all, every single person I'm looking at in here, every one of you and me have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, just like Adam and Eve did. And what's God's promise to us? For our sin, the wages of our sin is death, just like it was for Adam in the garden. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead. We've already earned death in our spirits, separation from God. But Jesus Christ, the glory of God himself, takes our cold, dead hearts and makes them alive. And when I say alive, I'm not just talking like the people I see right now, but alive forever. Like alive in Christ means to have hope for eternity You're not stuck here anymore. You don't have to live a hopeless life that's going to end in death. You've got eternal hope in your hearts. Do you guys know that this morning? That's why scripture says, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? It has none over you if you have Jesus Christ abiding in your heart. Isn't that awesome? You guys have eternity alive in your hearts today. So what is the mission as we get into the text here in Colossians chapter 1? The mission is to make the mystery known. Let's read verses 26 and 27 together. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has chosen you, saints, to have a front row seat to the life-changing work of Christ in others around you. He says right here that he's revealed it to his saints, and I just said, you are saints. Did you know that? Or do you think of saints as some like, angelic winged creatures or something that you attain to in this earth. If you are called by Jesus Christ to be his servant, no matter what your background is, you are made alive in that very moment and you are a saint before God. And he has called you to have a front row seat to the life-changing work of Christ, not just in you, but in others around you. Not just the Jews. The Old Testament is largely written following the Jews. The Jews were the descendants of Jacob, but it's also for the Gentiles. If you don't know who a Gentile is, you're probably one of them. (laughs) A Gentile is a non-Jew. So Gentiles, Jews, it makes up all the people of the world. So most of us in this room are Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. 
Let's see if we can make this a bit more practical. So, my profession, um, I'm rarely up here preaching, this is not my profession. My profession is in industrial equipment. I sell these massive metal machines that lose, move large quantities of air, and the only person in this room that gets what I do is Drew Marion. So, hi, Drew. Drew works with me. So, we sell these huge machines, they move lots of air. They're sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, about a year ago, I had sold one of these machines about a year and a half ago, and they were installing it somewhere. Now, when you go through an installation and you sell something that moves a lot of air, the people that you sell to, they have an expectation that they're going to get their air, right? It's kind of what we're paid to do. So, they didn't think they were getting their air. Now, that's never a good thing when you're the sales guy. They call you and they're like, we're not getting enough air. So that's what they had done, and they had just beat me down with phone call after phone call after phone call. And it was early April, 2021, and I had gotten a call, and they said, we got a test coming up in three weeks. If we fail this test, we're going to be millions of dollars in the hole. And we don't think that your fan is giving us what we need. Now, if you, any of you know me, you know that I have this, like, I will sometimes give off an air of confidence, but I am hopelessly anxious inside a lot. I don't feel like I'm good enough. And in this minute, I was like, man, did I sell these guys something that doesn't do what I said it would do? And we're three weeks away from a test. Am I going to get blamed for millions of dollars? I could not sleep that night because I was crushed by anxiety. I woke up the next morning after maybe an hour of sleep, and I went to a men's equipping course on Ephesians. I honest, I did not hear anything in that lesson that day, so if... I don't know where Greg is, but if you taught, I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. I was crushed, guys. I was sitting there at my table, just empty. And it got done, and I sat there with my head down and couldn't move. I didn't know what to do. And there was a man at my table, and he's here, and I'm going to call him out. It was Tony. Where are you, Tony? Hi, Tony. Tony Mong was at my table. He said, what's wrong with you? And uh, I told him about my anxiety, and you know what he did? Guys, my history is in the church. I grew up in the church. I was in the church three times a week from my youth until now. I had people around me my whole life, but I've never had people around me like I have here. He said, let's pray. What a novel idea. He went and grabbed a few guys, and I know some of the guys. Tommy, you're back there. Greg, you're somewhere. Greg, are you here? You're usually louder than this. Okay, Greg's with the kids. Okay, those were three of like six or seven men. And I'm telling you, as I sat there, these men came, and they walked up behind me, and I'm sitting on this chair, and I don't know who they are. And I just feel hands coming onto my shoulders. And as I sat there, crushed with anxiety, I couldn't even hardly breathe. I was so anxious over the situation. These men put their hands on me, and they prayed. And they just prayed simply, God, take away the anxiety that he's feeling. Please fill him with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, as these guys prayed over me, I've never had this in my life. God answered. He just tore away the anxiety crushing my spirit. And pretty soon, tears are streaming down my face. And I walked out of that building that morning a free man in Christ. I was already free before, but he freed me again. And he chose to do it through three wrecks of men. Along with a few others. I don't, I don't even know who the others were, but I do know these three guys. Any of you know their testimonies? They were horrible men. 
really bad guys. Like, we listened to Greg every week. He was not a good guy at all. And you've heard him admit it freely. But what has God done through these men? I'll tell you what he did to me. He showed me the power at work within them. That power was not in them before. Tony almost offed himself. He tried to. He took his car up to 130 miles per hour, wasn't it? In the screaming rain, took his hands off the wheel, said, God, take me now. He thought God hated him. But God chose him, and God brought him here to Cody, Wyoming. Tommy back there. Tommy was not a good guy. Tommy was a horrible husband. Hi, Tommy. But God reached into his life, and he saved him, and he made him new in Christ. This mystery was revealed in his heart, and he brought Tommy here from Texas. He brought Tony here from Missouri. He brought Greg here from wherever he brought Greg from. Greg was all over the place, somewhere in the Carolinas, I think. All of these men were brought into one room where I, God's saint, was sitting an anxious wreck. And he used them to show me the richness of the glory of Jesus Christ in them, the hope of glory. Do you see this, guys? There's nothing. My situation was not too big for the hope of glory. I'm a saint. I've been a saint since I was nine years old. God called me out of a life of sin, and I'll tell you, the most crippling sin that I dealt with was lying. But what's interesting is before I joined Outpost, I would have told you, really, the biggest sin of my past was lying. I didn't exactly know what I was still dealing with. But I'll tell you now, I get crushed by a couple of things. I desperately want to please people. I get horribly anxious. I try to fix things. And that's what I was doing that morning. That's what I had been doing for weeks on the phone with these guys, was trying to fix everything by myself. And I was crushed by anxiety. You see that serpent we talked about back in Genesis? That's the devil. And he deceives me. He tempts me into being convinced that I'm failing, that only if I'd done a little bit more, things would have worked out, that the reason things aren't going well is that I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't work hard enough. I don't pray hard enough, read enough. You name it, I'm anxious over it. But that serpent's head was crushed by my Savior. He doesn't have dominion over me anymore. As those men prayed over me that morning, the power of anxiety in me was crushed because the mystery of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal glory, spoke through to my heart through these men. And Jesus Christ revived the hope of glory back into my soul. The mystery was revealed to me that morning. Christ in me gives me hope of eternal glory. That's way more powerful than my anxiety, guys. That's way more powerful than my desire to please people. Jesus Christ is at work in me. So, we know the mystery. What is the mystery? I hear some whispering. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of 
glory. That's the mystery. What's the mission? To make it known. So what are the means to the end? So you've been given this mystery. You've been given a mission to make it known. What are the means that God is going to use to make it known? Your testimony. Is it, uh, well, Carson, is it you, not me? Like, uh, I'm going to sit back and God's going to use you to make it known? Should be. But should that be our collective mindset? Well, boy, I sure am glad God used someone else to speak into my life so that I was saved. I hope someone else has that same person go speak into their life. Like, I'm good. I got a ticket to heaven. That is the mindset of many in the church today. Let somebody else do it. It's not my responsibility. I'm good with God. But actually, the suffering that was in my story the suffering from anxiety that I deal with, it pales in comparison with the suffering that Paul endured for the church. So as we get back into this text and we look up at verse 24, it's fascinating what Paul says about his suffering. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And now we've, we've really talked in great depth about verses 26 and 27. So let's go ahead to verse 28. Him, Jesus Christ, who we just talked about this mystery, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And let's read here through verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. If you you haven't been here and you're not sure what Laodicea is, it's just a city that's a couple miles from Colossae. It's sort of like Ralston. All right. And for all who have not seen me face to face. So we're going to stop there for a minute. What we're focused on here is Paul uses these words to talk about his ministry to the church. Sufferings. In my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, real quick, is there anything lacking in Christ's afflictions for you? Do you struggle with that as you read this? Wait, what? I thought Christ was everything. And if you've been listening to the last few sermons, you know there's nothing lacking in the work Christ did. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? I'm going to actually turn to this really quick. It's not up behind me. In John chapter 15, in verses 18 through 21, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is, this is really what Paul's talking about, and that's why we're reading it back here. It's to just make known what he's referring to when he says that I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Jesus says that if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So what Paul is saying here back in Colossians chapter 1, he's just saying that he's getting what Jesus Christ promised to him. He's, he's enduring afflictions. And real quick, just so we know, like he details his afflictions really, really, really well in Corinthians. And we're going to take a minute to just look at what Paul went through on behalf of the church. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Now, taken out of context, you might be going, whoa, Paul had a problem with pride. But he's talking, he says right here, I'm talking like a madman. But now he goes on to detail his sufferings. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Can you guys imagine suffering that much? I mean, Paul went through so much suffering, and thank God for it, because Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, of which we all are. So were it not for his suffering, we may not be here today. Isn't that awesome? He went through all of that for you. Now, we've got to consider that God gave him stewardship, as we read back here in verse 25. Now, what is stewardship? The definition of stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So I want to turn this, I want to, turn this to you guys. You may not be stewarded with apostleship. Like, you may not feel the call of God to go to unreached peoples and raise up churches in those places. I do believe there are those people, and they may be in our midst today. That may be your calling. And you may go through similar suffering to what Paul went through. But you guys remember 1 Corinthians 12? We just went through Corinthians not that long ago. And what was Greg preaching about up here with gifts of the Spirit? If you are here today and you are saved and you are in Christ, do you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you? Yes. Has he gifted you in some way? Yes. Every one of you has been gifted in at least one way. So is your gifting in apostleship? Is your gifting in teaching? Is your gifting in helping? Administrating? Like these are all spiritual gifts. You can go read about them in 1 Corinthians 12. And like Greg said, it's not an exhaustive list, but it gives you an idea that just because you're not going and like reaching the 14 churches in all these different cities, you don't have to feel guilt in that like I sometimes feel. You can look at what Paul did and you can say, thank you, God, that he was faithful to his ministry. And I'm looking at you and I'm asking you, are you faithful in your ministry? Are you faithful in serving as God has equipped you to serve? Are you reaching out to other people and using what God has equipped you with? 
See in verse 28 here, as Paul fulfilled his calling and proclaimed Christ faithfully, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, how was he blessed? Paul got to see the people grow up. He got to see the church be blessed in maturing. That was joy for Paul. That's why back in verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He's rejoicing for you. It's worth it for him to go through that hardship, knowing that one day you would know Christ in your hearts. If you know the mystery of Jesus Christ, if it's at work within your hearts, fulfill your ministry. Serve. Use the gifts God has given you and watch the church get built up as Paul got to see. Paul is experiencing joy in the midst of these trials because of Christ in him, the hope of glory. In chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul continues to emphasize what a great struggle he has for these beloved believers in Colossae. I think it's real important real quick because we are all physically together to realize how God works spiritually. Paul, as Addison preached two weeks ago, Paul didn't actually physically visit the church at Colossae as far as we know. He didn't visit the church in Laodicea. Yet he's writing here about how great a struggle he has for them and how he desires to, what does he say here in uh, chapter 2, verse 1? I skipped a page. He says, I have not seen you face to face, but I desire that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Yeah, it's Jesus, Hazel. Good job. The mystery is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul, even though he's absent from them in flesh, he's present with them in spirit. We're going to see that in verse 5, but I'm just skipping ahead real quick. All right, this is very similar, this prayer here, to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. And it's my prayer for this church. Honestly, as I look out here today, I'm so just blessed by so many of you. You have spoken into my life. You have built me up. And I just want to extend some thank yous. I mean, the the three men that I talked about earlier. Greg, you're here now. Hi. When we were, when when you guys prayed over me at that church a, a year ago, no one had ever done that to me before. I'd been in the church my whole life. And no one had sat there with my struggle and not said, you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, read God's word more, pray more, God's got this, and walked out. That's what I was used to. I don't know what backgrounds you come from, but that may be what you're used to. That's not what Paul is praying for this church at Colossae. He's praying for them to be knit together in love, that their hearts may be encouraged. So I've got some questions for you guys. Christ paid it all for you. He nailed your sins to his hands and he endured the wrath of God on the cross so that you don't have to. Is your heart encouraged? He's given you faithful brothers and sisters to run with you as he gave me faithful brothers to run with me, to pray with me when I was hurting. Is your Heart knit together in love with your brothers and sisters that are around you. 
Are you growing with them, or are you still isolated? In Christ, do you have riches in full assurance? Do you know in your hearts and understand that it's Christ who paid it all for you? Do you know the mystery today? Sadly, the deceiver will do anything in his power to delude you into thinking there is another way to God. Isn't that what he always does? There's something more out there, guys. It's not just Christ. It's actually more you than anything. He's still the same wily serpent that he was in the garden, and he will fight to drag as many people into hell with him as he can. His message is the same as it's always been. God's not enough for you. There's a better life out there beyond God. It starts with believing in yourself. Is that a good place to put your hope and your trust and your dying flesh? That's what he's going to tell you. You don't need to bow to an oppressive God. Does he not make God seem to be just a horrible, oppressive being? And you believe that sometimes. He tells you, as I keep seeing all over social media, you do you. Isn't that some great advice? That's straight from the devil, guys. He's tempting us to think there's something great within us, and it starts with us. It does not start with us. Don't fall for it. John 14, 6 said, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You sang it this morning. Did you guys notice that? You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch. You are the vine. That's John 14, 6. You got to sing that. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. So as we close this morning, what are we waiting for, guys? Is there more of a mystery to be revealed? The path back to oneness with God, back into the Garden of Eden, communion with God, eternal life, from the tree of life comes through Christ and Christ alone. Do you know that in your hearts this morning? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Can you guys say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 5, we'll close here because it's what I, what I hope to see next week. I'm not going to see most of you through the week. That's sort of good, sort of sad. But I'm not going to be able to meet all of your needs through this week. Your pastors aren't going to be able to meet all your needs this week. Hopefully you're in community. And you have brothers and sisters pressing into you, being knit together in love. I want to encourage you, if you're not, seek it. Guys, I have never, ever been blessed as much as I have in the church as I have in the last year and a half at Outpost. My story is one of not feeling terribly encouraged before. Not being sure that I could share my hurts and my hang-ups and my problems. 
God has broken that spirit of oppression that was over me. And it's because of so many of you guys. Hi, community. It's because of you guys. You've pressed into my life. You have allowed me to be a part of yours. You've allowed me into your hurts, your hang-ups, your difficulties. Yes, I've suffered at times. You've suffered at times. And we'll continue to suffer. But let's suffer so that Jesus Christ may be fully known, may be made fully known, will spread abroad in all of our hearts so that we go out and we tell a dying world in Cody that Jesus Christ is alive and he's at work in us. Though I will be absent from you guys in body over the next week, I'm with you in spirit. I'm praying for you all that Jesus Christ fills you with the knowledge of the mystery that is him in you, the hope of glory. You have the hope of eternity alive in you this morning, and I'm so happy for you. I hope that you feel it when you leave here, that whatever anxiety is crushing you, don't let it crush you beyond this day. Come up and tell us about it. It's worth it. Just come up and tell us you're a wreck. That's okay. That's what I did a year ago. And God spoke to that. And God will speak to you too. Verse 5, though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. God, only you can do it. We depend on you for our daily bread, for our sleep at night, Lord, we depend on you to crush the anxiety weighing on our spirits. And we abide in your love. And I pray that this church will, Lord, recommit themselves if they've fallen away from you. If they haven't, I pray they will continue to press into Christ. And we will get to see the firmness of their faith in Christ as we assemble again next week and the week after that and through the week. I pray that we'll be growing in our faith in Jesus Christ, who alone can save us from our sins and bring us back to Eden. Thank you for revealing the mystery to us. I pray that we will make it known. In Jesus' name, amen.